Well, welcome to Heart of Life today. We are truly thrilled that you would uh, choose to, to gather with us. I hope that your week has been good. Any good weeks? I had a great, yeah, okay, okay. You guys are awake today. That's good. I had a great week. I did. And, and I don't want you to interpret that as though there weren't some really bad things that I had to deal with this week, because there were. There were some really heavy burdens that I felt this week, but in the middle of feeling all of that, uh, I got to be at the vault on Tuesday night for the prayer gathering. And let's just say that some of those things that felt overwhelming got put in perspective when I was with a group of just God's people who just pouring out their hearts to him. Uh, Wednesday night, I got to be a part of a, a rock world performance. Um, just, just those folks did a fantastic job just sharing the, the simple, straightforward truth about how Jesus can take the worst of scenarios and bring life. And then Thursday night, I got to be in a room where um, the good news of Jesus was shared. I watched some of our students and some of our students' leaders sitting around tables answering questions, giving their testimony, and people who did not know Jesus stepped across the line and put their faith in Jesus. I had a great week. I had a great week. And it gets even better tonight. It just keeps going. Because in case you haven't heard, and we'll give you a little more info uh, here in a few minutes, but we're going to gather this evening just down the road at the farm, some great food, some, some, some fun games, some serious fireworks. But the highlight of it all is that tonight we get to celebrate baptisms. And I so look forward to this day just all year long. I hope that you will make it a point to be there tonight. It is going to be a fantastic time together. So today, I'm going to call a time out in our regularly scheduled programming of 1 Timothy, and I want to talk about what we're going to see, what we're going to witness, what we're going to celebrate tonight, and that is baptism. Um, baptism is a big deal. It is, and I hope that by the time we're done today, you'll, you'll understand why I say that. Some of you regularly get questions about baptism. Some of you have friends, you have family. Every once in a while, they want to ask you a question about it, and you're just, I'm not quite sure how to answer some of those. Hopefully, out of today, you'll be able to answer some of those better. Some of you are going to take that step tonight. Some of you are going to be baptized tonight, and I want you to understand the significance of what this is really about. And then, honestly, some of you need to take this step. You do, and I want you to take it. And so I'm not messing around today. I'm just saying up front, I got an agenda today. I do. I have an agenda, and this is my agenda. If you are a Christian and have never been baptized since you've become a Christian, then you should. Then you should. If you're a Christian and you've never been baptized since you've become a Christian, then you should take that step. And hopefully, after we walk through it today, you'll be ready. Now, here's what I'm up against. What I'm up against is the fact that 
if you grew up in a, let's say, Christian church, Christian household, you have an opinion about baptism. You do. You, you have an opinion about this thing, and typically your opinion is shaped most by the tradition that you grew up in. Therefore, when we talk about baptism, it is an emotional topic. It is. It is amazing. People get emotional when we talk about this. And I think a part of that reason is, for some, you're raised in a certain setting, taught a certain thing. When other people challenge what you've been taught, we're treading on some territory that just makes our heart uh, beat a little faster and we see the emotion. Let me give you an example. If you grew up Catholic, okay, which we got a lot of people in Heart of Life that, that that was their background, you grew up Catholic, then you were taught that baptism is a part of your salvation. That's what you were taught. And therefore, steps were taken like baptizing babies, all right? And so every once in a while, I, I deal with that situation where somebody will, will contact us or have a conversation, and, and, and sometimes, honestly, it's not even people who necessarily go to church. They're not even really connected to a church, but suddenly a child is born, and we got to get them in. And therefore, they will say, hey, can we, can we baptize them? Can we talk about baptizing this child? Which, in a way, it's almost like it's superstitious for some people because they don't really practice it. They don't really connect anywhere, but suddenly here's something we need to do to take care of this child. I'm just saying there's lots of emotion that is attached to this topic. But the reason that baptism is a part of what so many denominations do is because of something Jesus said. And so here's where we start today, Matthew chapter 28. It is some of the most famous words that comes from Jesus. These are the words that he spoke right before he, he ascends back to heaven. These are sort of marching orders. We often use the word commission when we describe these words. Here's what he says. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, right? I want them all to know. We've been studying that in 1 Timothy. He says, I want all to be saved. But here's our word baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when we baptize someone, that, that's actually the phrase that you hear us use. You heard it just a minute ago in the video. Uh, you, you've always thought like, why do they say that? Because Jesus said that. that that's, that's why we say that, right? The point is when people embrace Jesus, Jesus says, be baptized. That's really the anchor for this whole thing. So today, I, I want to show you um, a little more of the picture that the Bible paints, and I want to give you a little bit of how history um, has unfolded on, on this deal. I, I don't mind telling, this is a big deal for me. This is a big deal for me, because as a leader, a part of what I have been instructed to do 
all right, is baptize them, all right? But I want you to know why. And I want it to be real. But I also want you to trust what Jesus is calling you to. So, if we're going to understand the word, we got to first talk about two other words. The first word that we need to understand is the word translation. All right? Now, what I'm talking about is when we talk about translating the Bible, Scripture, you probably know this, but when the New Testament, those words that we just read, when that was very first written, very first time, somebody tell me what language it was written in. Greek. That's right. The very first language that it was written in was Greek. Therefore, in order for a guy like me to understand it in the only language that I'm really proficient in, sometimes that's questionable, is English, all right? So it has to be translated from the Greek into English. And so what we're doing is the, the, the translators, they will get a Greek word and then find the equivalent of that Greek word in the English language, and they translate it. So if it's the word uh, theos, Greek word theos, then we would translate that as God. Make sense? Greek word translated to English word. But sometimes that's not what happens. Sometimes it's not a translation that happens. It's actually what's called a transliteration, right? And here's what I mean. Sometimes they don't take a Greek word and give the equivalent of the English word Sometimes they will take the Greek letters of that word and then find the equivalent English letters of that word, and that's what the word becomes, all right? Now, if all of that is Greek to you, I'm going to show you what I mean. And I'm going to show you today in the word that we're talking about, it is the word baptizo. Baptizo. Let's say it together. Baptizo. Baptizo. One more time. Baptizo. All right? If we translate this word, baptizo, the translation, the English words, what does that mean? It means this. It means to wash, to plunge, to soak, to dip. That's what it means. To wash, to plunge, to soak, to dip. But if we take the first letter, beta, in the Greek, that would be equivalent to what our English letter, what? B. And then we have alpha in the Greek, equivalent to our letter A. If we transliterate that word, we come up with a word that we are very familiar with. It's a word connected to baptize. Does that make sense? Baptism. Now, here's my point. We're just going to leave this up for a little bit so you can see it. In the first century, this word that we're dealing with was really not a big-time religious word like we think of it. When we think of baptism, we think religious word. It's connected to something theological. In the first century, that was not the case. In the first century, it simply meant wash, plunge, soak, dip. That's what it meant. Sometimes, and I know this is sad, but sometimes it would be used to describe a person that drowned. It would be used to describe a ship that sank. It would be used to describe a washing process. 
There is this famous uh, little story that happened around 200 B.C., this Greek poet and physician by the name of Nicander. He has this recipe for making pickles. And since 200 B.C., it has withstood the test of time. You, you, can, you can look it up for yourself, a recipe for making pickles. And in the pickle recipe, Nicander says, you must baptizo, the, 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 the vegetable, twice. He says, first you must baptizo the vegetable in boiling water, and then you baptizo the vegetable in the vinegar solution. And then, when the vegetable dies, it goes to heaven. <laughs> no. He's not talking about anything theological. He's just using the word baptizo the way the word would have been used. It is to plunge that pickle. It is to dip that pickle into those various solutions. So, in our English Bible, sometimes this word is translated, and sometimes this word is transliterated. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of, of when it's just translated, all right? Here's a couple of examples from, from the Gospels. Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, verse 4, Jesus is talking about some, some leaders. It says, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they baptizo. So they don't eat until they're baptized? No. He's just using it as the word wash. That's the word. It gets translated in that occasion. In the second part of that verse, he continues, and they observe many other traditions such as the baptizo of cups, pitchers, and kettles. You can baptize your dishes. He's just saying it's just the word wash. Let me give you one more from Luke. One more from Luke. The, 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 the Pharisees were surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. It is the word, baptizo. It is that word. So here's the question. Then why did that word become something of a theological word? Why didn't the translators just always translate it as wash? Why did sometimes they translate it, sometimes they transliterate it? That's what I want you to understand today. Back in the Old Testament time, so before Jesus came, and in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, about 400 years happens between there. It's called the intertestamental time period. There would be occasions when people who were associated with the Jewish people, people who were not Jewish, but maybe they, they got to know a Jewish people or maybe they're hanging around in, in Israel for a period of time, they would see how Israel lived. They believed in how many gods? One God. That was different than what everybody else in the world tended to how they operated. They believe in this one God. And, and they, they observe these commandments that this God has, has laid out there, these commandments that when you look at them, it's like, yes, this is really what's best for people. This, if you do this, this really does bless other people. And so they look at this whole system of how the Jewish people lived, and they would say, 
I want to be one. I want to be Jewish like you. Now, they're not Jewish. They're what's called Gentiles, anybody that was not a Jew. But they're like, I I want to be one. How do I become Jewish? And so what happened is, down through the years, different sets of leaders came up with a system, a process of what a person, a Gentile, would go through in order to associate in becoming Jewish, if you will. And so down through the ages, there's a whole list that could be made, but I'm just going to kind of put that list together and, and show you what we end up with. Circumcision. So if you're a guy, this is where it starts. Do you really want to become Jewish? All right? Because here's what circumcision is. Circumcision is this, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Figure it out. Circumcision. All right? And then a covenant meal. A covenant meal, like like something associated with with the Passover meal. All right? Um, acknowledgement of the law. They would have to say, I, I, am, I am lining up, surrendering to, if you will, the law of Moses. Sometimes they would even have to memorize parts of the law. A sacrifice, that changed at different time periods, but, but a sacrifice that would always be made. And then a ceremonial washing. And that ceremonial washing represented that I am cleansing myself of being who I was. I am cleansing myself of being a Gentile, cleansing myself of of sin, cleansing of my old way of life. Now I want a new life of Judaism. And interestingly enough, you did this to yourself. You, 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 You did this washing of yourself. And in parts of the world where Jews were predominantly Greek-speaking, you want to guess what they would call this? Baptizo. Baptizo. It was a secular word used to describe a ceremonial washing as it related to becoming a Jewish person and leaving behind being a Gentile. Then, then around 30 A.D., this wild-eyed, crazy kind of guy shows up, shows up at the Jordan River, and he's preaching a message. Now, he's just got one outline, one outline. You know what his outline was? Repent. It's like, hey, what did he preach on today? Repent. What did he preach on yesterday? Repent. You show up tomorrow, guess what he's going to preach on? Repent. That was, that was the message. His name? John. And John is saying, God is in the midst of doing something so new among you. God is doing something right now like you have never seen him do before. And if you are not right with God, you're going to miss what God's doing. He says, I know you're Jewish. That ain't good enough. I know that Abraham is your father. That's not good enough. I know that you go regularly to the temple to worship, to make sacrifices, and that is not good enough. 
You need to get your lives in line with the law of God. You need to stop what you're doing, and you need to turn, repentant, to him. John went down into the Jordan River, and he announced to all of them, if you are ready to repent, I want you to step into the river with me, and John would wash them. And they called it baptizo. Baptizo. Because it was this ceremonial washing. And everybody there knew this was not about washing off dirt. That this was not about going into the river and, and washing off dirt externally. That this was about people who were connecting to what John was saying. John was saying, you need to turn to God. You need to stop what you're doing and you need to line up with him. And so when they did this act, everybody understood it was them saying, I line up with that. And as John did this, he became known as John the Baptist. Oh. It was a form of the word baptizo. And interestingly enough, John the Baptist, that term, originated right here in that place and never used anywhere else. Never which tells us that when the people saw John doing what they, what they saw him doing, they didn't have a word for it. No one had ever ceremonial washed somebody else like that. The Gentiles would do it to themselves, but, but nobody had ever done that to someone else, and therefore he became known as John the Baptist, John the Dipper, John the, right, that, that's the word something brand new. People were identifying with what John was saying. I believe that what John's saying is true, and I want everybody, this whole community, to know that I, I'm, I'm in with this. I'm in with this. So here's what it says, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appears in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, I want us to pause for a second and realize, look, look at this language here. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, this was very, and when I say very, I'm talking extremely public. Now, literally, was every person from Jerusalem there? I don't know. I, this, this, this could be a way of like, you, you, you ask a question, hey, how was the party? And, and somebody says, oh, Everybody was there, right? 
which then makes you very insecure because suddenly you're not everybody because you weren't there, right? But you get the picture. Everybody was there. Maybe, maybe that's the kind of lane. But the, the point is, man, this is huge crowds. Everybody's there. And what's going on is this very public, very public declaration of saying, I'm lining up with this. It's, it's around here, sometimes we use the example of wearing a jersey. It's like putting on the jersey so that I'm saying I identify with this and I'm good with everybody knowing it. Speaking of the Jordan River, it got me thinking this last week. I grew up in a time frame where I watched a guy play basketball that I'm convinced um, he did it um, at least as well, if not better, than, than anybody else ever did. Um, his name just happens to be Jordan. Both sides of the basketball, uh, the number of championships. This guy was just, just remarkable, just remarkable. Got to, as I grew up, I got to watch him play ball. And when I think Michael Jordan, I think what team? The Bulls. The Bulls. Championship after championship after championship with the Bulls. He wins championships and then he goes away and then he goes back and wins championships and then he goes away. Right? But a lot of people forget that there was also another jersey that Jordan wore before he actually finally hung it up. Anybody remember? Anybody remember? Yeah, the Wizards, right? And I got to be honest with you, when I see Jordan in a Wizards jersey, it's like, mm, that just doesn't look right to me, right? My whole life, I, I grew up watching him wear a Bulls jersey. When I think of who he is, I think of the Bulls. When I, when I see the Wizards, it's like that. No, there is a power of a jersey. Um, the other night, uh, I caught some highlights or something. Uh, um, my wife had been watching the home run derby and all that stuff with, with Major League Baseball All-Star Game. And there was actually a um, celebrity softball tournament that I, and then I saw some highlights in it. And in that celebrity softball tournament, there was a guy catching named Kelsey, as in Travis Kelsey, as in the Chiefs, right, Travis Kelsey. But there was something really weird going on, because when I saw him, this is, he got a Cleveland jersey on. Now, he was just playing. There was a Cleveland team because that's where the All-Star game was, playing all the other kind of celebrities, and so he's just representing uh, Cleveland. But just seeing him with the Cleveland jersey on, it was like, that ain't right. That ain't right because that's not who he is. He's a chief. He's a chief. There's a power in a jersey. Um, these shirts. Y'all like my shirt? Y'all like my shirt? Bunch of people have these shirts, Right? because it's about um, our Heart of Life students on mission this summer. Every year they make a shirt now, and this one's got Missouri, Alabama, Taiwan. And so everybody associated with whether it was going to Fuge Camp in Alabama or, or Taiwan uh, students coming here or us going wherever, everybody gets one of these. It's kind of the, the, the identifying mark for this summer. It was funny, when our Taiwan students arrived last week, the first crew arrived at the vault Pam was greeting them just to welcome them and say hi. And one of, one of the, the young men said, I like your shirt. And the reason he said, I like your shirt is because she was wearing it. And they also all were wearing it. And I'm saying in an instant, there was this identifying factor that happened. There's something of connectivity that happens when you wear the jersey. 
and it connects us with others who do the same. That's what was happening as John is baptizing these people in the Jordan. It's a no mistake. I'm putting on the jersey and I'm good with all of Jerusalem knowing it. I'm lining up with what he's saying. And then the day came that John's in the Jordan River and people are being baptized. And John looks up and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he says, everybody, look there. He says, because, hey, the one I've been telling you that's going to show up, what God is doing, I'm telling you that you don't want to miss, there he is. And it was Jesus who's standing there. Now, John was so good at what he did, he, was, he, he preached and spoke with such power that there were times that somebody, some of them would ask the question, hey, John, are you the one? And John was always clear to say, no, I'm not the one, but I'm, I'm the one that's telling you that one is coming. And just because you haven't seen him yet doesn't mean he hadn't already been here. It's this whole confusing picture, but John's saying, no, I'm not the one, he's the one. And when Jesus shows up at the Jordan that day, Jesus asked John to baptizo him. He wants John to baptize him. Now, all of a sudden, you can kind of see why John would push back on that and go, Jesus, why do I need to baptize you? You got no sin to confess. To, what, what, no, if anybody needs to be baptized, and it's you, Jesus. You need, you need, to, you need to baptize me. Well, but Jesus knew that as the people watched, him allowing John to baptize him, he is affirming the message that God is sending He's affirming the message, this is so, this is true. And so then, when Jesus gave the final instructions to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven, he says, when people choose to follow me, it is not enough that they simply make an internal decision. It also should be accompanied with an external evidence, and that begins with baptism. And so the disciples started baptizing people. When people would, 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 would believe, when people would put their trust in, then they would, they would baptize him. It became this public evidence that we line up with Jesus. The one who died for our sins, raised to new life. We're putting on the jersey, we line up with him. And so let me, let me just give you um, a little definition. When we talk baptism, here's... Here's what we're talking about. Baptism is a public declaration. Okay, we're seeing that, and I'll come back and talk about that in a second. A public declaration expressing a private decision. We could say personal, but private decision of faith in Jesus. Let's leave this for a second. Baptism. So wash, plunge, soak, dip. But in this case, it's something bigger than that. It is this identifying factor. It's, it's this jersey factor of what? Well, it, it is a public declaration. That's one of the things that you cannot escape when you study the Bible about when baptisms happen. This is not some secret thing behind the scenes. The Jordan River. In that day, do you know how big a deal rivers were? 
I mean, how, how important rivers were to a society, what, what travel, just water, life. I mean, everybody. It's like a crossroads. Where did the baptisms happen? They happened at the Jordan River. We're, we're not talking about, hey, will you be baptized so all of the church can know? In that day, it was being baptized so that the whole city could know. But it's expressing a private decision. This is not just some external act. It's not just jumping through some hoop, something that you do. This is about something that's taken place on the inside. And again, when I say private, I mean personal. I mean nobody else can do that for you. That is something between you and God. That's why we don't baptize babies. Our particular church, we don't baptize babies, and the reason that we don't baptize babies is because they can't decide for themselves yet. That baby didn't make the personal decision. That baby, baby didn't make a private decision, and nowhere in the New Testament is God upset with a child for not being baptized. Nowhere. Baptism is not a condition of salvation. In other words, baptism is not a hoop to jump through in order to be saved. Baptism is the beginning of the evidence that you have. One of the clearest pictures we have in the Bible is one of the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus. When Jesus was crucified that day, two criminals with him, one of them turned to Jesus in faith. And the words that Jesus gave to him that day are, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. You're going to be where I'm going. You're with me. My question, did that guy get baptized? No. He died on the cross. No baptism for him. It's because it's not baptism that is a condition of salvation. It is, it is the beginning of the evidence of something internal, something real that has happened of a faith in Jesus. You were going one way, your way, but then there is a, the word John used was repent. It's a turn, and I am putting my trust in Jesus. Why would I trust Jesus? Because the great news, Jesus died for my sin. He died for my sin, arose from the dead. When I put my trust in him, when I turn to Jesus saying, I don't deserve this, but Jesus, I believe that you love me, and I'm asking you to forgive me. He does. And there is a change in the status before God. So here's my point. If you are a Christian, you have come to that place of a, a personal decision that you have made to follow Jesus, and you have not yet been baptized since you've done that, then you should be baptized. Because that's the pattern that we're given in Scripture, a decision followed by baptism. Some of you were baptized as a baby. Okay. You were baptized as a baby or you were baptized as a really little kid. Somebody kind of headed you that direction and, 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 and you were baptized. But later, later is when God really turned that light on in your heart and you came to understand who Jesus is and you trusted him. 
a lot of people, that's a step that they take when, when uh, we end up getting to meet people and they, they connect, they, they hear that truth and they're like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Then I'm saying, the, ba- the, the, the pattern that falls here is, then be baptized. Be baptized. You're like, but I was baptized when I was a baby. I understand, but now that you've made the decision, this personal decision, baptism then becomes that initial, initial external evidence that says, I'm in. You say, well, I, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, I, I don't know if I want to do that. And my, my answer would simply be, but Jesus said to do that. And then what I sometimes get is, well, well I, don't, I don't think. I, I just don't think. And I want us to stop. I want us to stop. And I want us to really think about what's happening when we do that. Because what you're telling me is that you have placed your life in Jesus' hands, your faith in him. I'm totally sold out to him. I'm totally committed to him. I want to follow him with my life. But I just, I just don't think. Can we at least acknowledge that you are not following Jesus in that matter? You are expecting Jesus to follow you. I don't know how else to say that. You are not following Jesus in that pattern. You are expecting Jesus to follow you. So let's quit playing games and act like we're actually following Jesus with all of our life when we're not. We're saying, Jesus, I want you, but I'm going to dictate how this looks. Now, there are some of you who've been baptized. They're like, yeah, tell them. But come on. We have a way of playing this game in a lot of areas, don't we? Like some of us, we, we've trusted Jesus and claim to be baptized, and maybe there's some relationships going on in our life. Could be a boyfriend, could be a girlfriend, could be some stuff going on online, and there's some activity going on that you know Jesus says should not be going on, because when it does, it affects your heart. There's something going on here, but, but your response is, well, I, I know, but I just think. Can we just acknowledge that ain't following? That's not following. That's expecting Jesus to follow me. Some of y'all do that with your money. Oh, man. I'm not kidding you. I have come to the place to realize that in the American church, we use this language of following Jesus. We are Jesus followers. We will do whatever he says. We commit our life to him. And yet we are not generous with our finances. We don't support the mission of God's church. We let everybody else do that and just claim that we're along because when it comes to our money, that's our own business. And I just don't think. Man. It's contagious sometimes that we claim to follow Jesus when really all we're doing is following him where we think is best, but really that just means we expect Jesus to follow us around with what we want to do and don't want to do, and it, it, it means we're not really following Jesus. And I realize people get all upset. They're like, oh, all he does is preach on money. Oh, quit it. 
I do not always preach on money. I do not always talk on money. But every once in a while, there's a moment to remind us that he said, whatever happens with your money reflects your heart. Quit playing a game and quit acting like you think that you are in line with God when really your heart's external actions are reflecting, whether it's not being baptized or it's not being generous with your funds or it's what you do with your body, that you are not really following Jesus. I'm not talking about struggle. Sometimes we all struggle. Sometimes there are moments that we make mistakes. Thank God for his grace. But I'm talking about those moments where we claim to follow him, but we've kind of set this path, and it's just how we're going to be. Mm-mm. Man, I don't want you standing before God one day going, well, I showed up at church, and I prayed some prayers, and I even got dunked one time. But really, your whole life was about Jesus following you around in order to bail you out when you needed him to bail you out. Come on, I want you to follow the one who is better than anything else. I want you to follow the one who is better than your sin. I know it's fun for a moment, but he is better than your sin. I want, I want you to follow the one who is better than absolutely anything. Tonight, tonight we're going to celebrate some people who are going to step into the water to declare, I'm all in with Jesus. You know, one of the things that we often do around here is when people are baptized, they'll make a little video. Because some of y'all know we make a little video because it terrifies everybody. Uh, The video terrifies everybody. Tonight, we're not going to do videos. Tonight, when the people are being baptized, they're actually just going to tell us a little bit of their story. They're going to give us a sentence or two that tells us, you know, here's here's why I'm here. Uh, Honestly, there are sometimes I think If we wanted to see more baptisms, we don't do the videos because sometimes people just won't. It's like, well, then why, Jeff? Why do we do that? Because I'm telling you, you look at the history, you look at the Bible, you look at the picture. This was a Jordan River crossroads of a city. Nobody's playing a game. This is if you're in. You're bold to say you're in. We sometimes struggle just to get people to be baptized in front of the church. <laughs> like we, we, we just struggle sometimes to get baptized in front of other believers who, who are on the same page, much less to tell the world. Come on, this is an opportunity for you to share your story. This is an opportunity for you to declare the greatness of God. And honestly, when you do, it affects people's faith. It affects, as long as I've been following Jesus, and as much as I try to follow him, when you tell your story, my faith is encouraged. When you tell your story, when you're baptized, my faith is grown. It's going to happen tonight. So you're thinking, well, I was baptized when I was young, but I really didn't know what I was doing. Now I know what I'm doing. I've chosen to follow Jesus. Well, then I'm telling you, today's your day. Today's your day, because tonight we're going to gather, and we would love to visit with you before we get out of here, just to set you up and be ready for what's going to take place tonight. I'm going to load up on you with one more statement, and it is not a fair statement, because you can't match it. This is unfair, I know it, but it's how Jesus loves. Jesus died for you. Can we put this in perspective? Jesus died for me and you. He bled to death for our sin. 
That process is so gross that if I tried to describe it to you today really in detail, like if I gave you the real scoop of what crucifixion looked like and what he went through publicly that day, arms nailed, feet nailed to a cross, it is so gross, it is so disgusting that if I actually gave it to you in detail, some of you would actually get up and leave and you would say you went too far. You would. I think we need to put that in perspective. Sometimes in the wrestling match that we all have about the risk of public embarrassment. And we worry about baptism because of what our hair might look like or what somebody might think or if I don't say the words exactly right. And I'm saying, really? Compared to what Jesus did and in light of what can be shared with others, we lose all our excuses. Somebody needs to hear your story. I am convinced of that, and I've seen it happen too many times. Somebody needs to hear your story. On the day that you tell your story, it'll happen tonight. Some of you who are sharing your testimony tonight, there will be people tonight who need to hear your particular story today. You're like, I don't know, because I don't think my story's all that wild. I think my story's just like every other. I'm like, yeah, I know somebody needs to hear it, and they'll, they'll hear it this evening. And you may never know their name, but they will never forget your story, because that's how God does it. For some of you, you, you need to get, you need to be baptized not because you're jumping through a hoop to earn God's favor. Nope. Not because if you check this box, then you are good with God. Nope. But it is following Jesus, an initial step, that if you have come to that personal decision of following him, it's time for you to actually follow him. And there's something very supernatural that happens. There are others of you here today, you don't need to get baptized until you actually turn to Jesus. And for some of you, that's what you need to do right now. In just a minute, we're going to sing a couple of songs. We're going to be located right over here on this side of the room. Some of you need to come to get signed up for baptism. Some of you need to come to say, I need to know how to trust Jesus. And we would be honored to visit with you right over here to just help you do what Jesus says we do. It's repentance. That means to turn to him and a faith in him, a faith in this good news, the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, buried third day. He arose. And for all who trust in him, for all who cast their life upon him, he will forgive your sin, but he doesn't stop there. He also will give you his goodness, fills you with his righteousness, and his spirit comes to make his home in you, never, ever, ever to leave you. That is the greatest news in the whole world. And today we have come to receive it, and to celebrate it. I'll pray, we're going to sing, and some of you need to head that direction. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word today, and I'm in that process already. God, asking you to forgive us for how, I don't know what else, to, lacks. God, we have approached this thing. God, I thank you that it is by your grace through faith that we come into a relationship with you. We don't earn it because there's not a single one of us that could. If we were baptized a hundred times, it still wouldn't get rid of the sin of our life. God, I, I thank you that this is not about earning your love. 
but it is a response to your love. And yet at the same time, God, I, I think there are too many of us that, that we just kind of, we kind of take this whole, I, we just come here and, and we get a serving of, of encouragement, we get a serving of, of teaching, and, and we call ourselves followers, but the truth is, God, we're really not following. We're really not following. So God, I'm asking that the places where that is true in our hearts today, that as you shine that truth in, you'll help us to know it is your desire to make our heart looks like, look like yours. So God, as you speak, help us to sense how you love. God, help us to truly get a glimpse of what you've done for us. God, help us to trust. I pray for those who need to be baptized. God, help them to have courage to take that step in this moment. I pray for those who actually need to give their life to you first. God, I pray for those of us who need to repent. God, whatever you need to do today as you speak, give us courage to listen and give us faith to act. May your people be for real. May the jersey that they claim to wear truly represent the fact your team, we belong to you. May your glory be known in all the earth. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand. We will sing together.